Hello, hello. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Toronto Marlboros podcast. Today we're going to be doing a deep dive into how the North Division truly compares to the other divisions, a best ball check-in to see how Luke's episode one team has been stacking up, our sleeper segment with who's been available on the waiver wire this week, and our lightning round, which this episode is about 10 players who are having career years. Getting into the first segment, as you may know, we are just about a handful of games away from officially being halfway through the season, and during this time, one narrative keeps coming up in conversation, the North Division sucks. Northern detractors tend to bring up a lack of defense and a lower concentration of playoff teams, but if you've watched hockey long enough, I'm sure you've seen the unfair hatred that teams like Toronto, Montreal, and Edmonton get basically every year. Now that the Buds are first in the league, fans of other teams seem intent on chalking their success up to nothing more than a crappy division. Do you think this criticism is fair, Luke? Well, I'll probably get called a biased homer for saying this, but no. Do I believe that the North Division is the weakest? Yes, honestly, and unfortunately, I do. But do I believe that the North Division is bad enough to take away from the Leafs' success? No, not at all. I've actually compiled some data in a spreadsheet to analyze this narrative a bit further. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What I have done is looked at every single team's last three seasons. I thought about doing four or five at first, but after looking at like how some teams really aren't the same team they were, I thought that three would be fair because you don't want to go too far back, but you don't want to have like a one-season sample size. Mm. And so essentially from there, I calculated how many times those teams have made the playoffs, how many times they've had 100-plus point seasons, or how many times they've had 95-plus point seasons. And again, these are like cumulative combined totals of all the teams. I organized the teams into their current divisions because obviously we're not comparing the old divisions, we're comparing the new. Hmm. And so that is how I thought would be a good way to see what the totals were and see you know, which teams and which divisions really are the strongest. Damn, that sounds like a lot of math. I'm happy you took the reins on that one. (laughs) Did any patterns emerge? Did you find anything interesting out? I'll start with the total combined times teams have made the playoffs. So over the last three years, North Division teams have made the playoffs a combined total of 11 times. The East, Central, and West Division teams have made the playoffs a combined total of 15 times each. So I'm not going to sit here and say that four less times in three years is insignificant because it's not, but the disparity is actually very close. And my point is that it's a lot closer than people think Mm -hmm. since a lot of people are kind of acting like the North division is full of teams that haven't made the playoffs at all in recent years, just total wash teams, you know, a whole division of Detroit's. (laughs) whereas teams in other divisions have essentially all made every year. They're all amazing. So tough, you know, and it's just, this simply isn't true. It's true to some degree, but it's, like I said, a small degree. It's not this huge, wide gap or margin that everyone's making it out to be. Yeah, I think there are some feast or famine teams in every division, and it's not just a bunch of excellent teams in every division except ours. So I'm glad that you got some, uh, some empirical evidence to back that up. But 
in stuff that people might see as an actual metric for comparing the the quality of a team and not just how good they are in the playoffs was there any similar disparity changes for like 100 plus point seasons or 95 plus point seasons like what are the numbers look like on that yeah so over the last three years north division teams have combined for four 100 plus point total seasons two are from toronto no problem you are welcome (laughs) (laughs) one is from winnipeg and one is from calgary The Central Division also has four, the West Division has five, and the East Division has eight. And in terms of 95-plus point seasons, the North Division has six, the Central and West Divisions have eight, and the East Division has ten. Huh, so the East really is the strongest division going back through history, but... Do you think that's still the case or do you how much of that do you think would be the legacy of the teams rather than the actual current skill level that most of them are at? So if someone said to me that they thought the East was the strongest, I would not really necessarily disagree with them. I would, but you know, I really I would appreciate that it would be tough. But you know, at the same time, I also think the Central might be a tad stronger and here's why. To put it in perspective, I think the Bruins and the Caps are good teams, but the rest of the of the division, while there's some teams with some good pieces, I think it's they're kind of trash in a way. Like for example, the Isles had a good run last year, but they've gotten by on Trotz's system and unsustainable goaltending. Their offense, special teams, and possession play has been pretty awful since Tavares left, which I know Isles fans do not want to hear. But statistically speaking, they really shouldn't have been in the playoffs at all until their run last year. Like, for example, two years ago, uh, I think they finished 30th in the league in power play percentage. And, you know, it's not every day you see a team, you basically never see a team with a power play that bad in the league's basement, you know, have success or make the playoffs at all. So that was kind of a fluke. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the Flyers are a bit overrated as well. Obviously, they're a very good team, but they're still kind of young and inconsistent. Carter Hart had a nice two-year honeymoon phase, but now he's kind of playing a bit trashy, which is a bit of a reminder that he's good, but he's still only just 22 years old. He's just not going to bring it every single night. He needs to grow into that consistent tender before the team is legit. A lot of their young guys are kind of in the same boat. More often than not, they've been very good, but the times they're bad have kind of shown that there's room to improve. Rely on young guys kind of like they have with Joel Farabee this season, for example. Uh, it's good, but you know you want you don't want to put too much pressure on the kids as well. Um, but to kind of sum all that up, I just feel like a ton of teams in that division either aren't consistently good or they're kind of overrated or they just aren't as good as they used to be and are getting by on reputation. Like the Pens, for example, you know, recent Stanley Cup winners, the Pens went back to back, of course. But are they really those teams that they were even just two years, three years later? I don't think so. Yeah, I guess I can see that. And you hinted that there might be a a division that you find stronger. I think you said it might be the Central. Do you uh, care to elaborate on that and maybe explain why you think that the division with less of a Stanley Cup pedigree might be, you know, significantly or at least a bit stronger than what a lot of people claim the league's favorite to be? Sure. So in the Central, you have the Lightning and the Stars, and I would argue that both of those teams are currently better than any East team, 
Even Boston, I know, but, you know, just look at their lineups and you'll probably agree with me. Columbus and Carolina are also probably better than every East team, but that's outside of the Bruins and the Caps. I do think those two teams are better than Columbus and Carolina. Chicago and Florida are off to strong starts as well, which does strengthen the division for now, but I'm not fully convinced that will last. I just think the Central is the strongest in terms of quality of team. I really only consider Detroit to be a bad team from that division. You know, Nashville might qualify now, but I personally think they're still a very strong 7th best team. You know, before their down year last year, they had finished first in their division in back-to-back seasons. And before the back-to-back first place finishes, they finished 4th. Um, But the year they finished fourth was also the year they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. So they're just, you know, they're always there. They're always in the mix. And in the East, you also get to face the Devils, the Sabres, and the Rangers multiple times. And that, to me, is pretty weak. Yeah, I guess it does boil down to the the level of competition that you face uh, consistently within your division, as opposed to you know the the West that gets to beat up on you know the the California teams and well yeah. less so LA, but it really does make a difference when you have fewer teams that you're just able to get free points off of. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way though. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, the Sabres and the Devils have been really struggling. The Sabres right now, especially more than ever, with Jeff Skinner being benched for so long and, you know, coaching problems that they don't even have a real way out of. But, yeah, I guess that that really wraps up the the East as the true feast or famine division. Do you have any final thoughts on this before we move on, though? I guess the only other thing I want to say is that... The hatred for the Leafs and their success this year, sure, it's annoying, but it can be expected. I mean, we're fans too, right? We've been hearing this kind of crap for our whole lives. We've been saying it for a lot of those years too. (laughs) Yeah, for for most, exactly. For most of those years, we agreed. So, but I saw a tweet saying that the Leafs could win at all this year and 30 fan bases would still be tweeting every excuse under the sun in order to make it seem illegitimate. And he's right. You know, unless Toronto went on a crazy playoff run where they won the Stanley Cup, they won every single game to nothing, people would still be making excuses and writing it off. You know, it'd be game six of the Stanley Cup finals, and they would be like, oh, remember that penalty the Leafs got for free in game three of round one? Like, oh, man, if it wasn't for that, you know what I mean? It would just be like some butterfly effect BS. And anyways, the biggest argument, as you had said before, was... The division has no defense, Mm. which, you know, you can agree or disagree with that depending on how you look at it. But what I do know is the division has a lot of offense. Some of the best offensive players in the league are in this division. But despite that, the Leafs still have the 12th fewest goals against out of the entire NHL. They also have the second best goal differential in the league. Only the Lightning are better. And the Leafs and the Lightning are actually leagues ahead of anyone else. The two of them are in an echelon of their own. So, mm-hmm. so yes, the Leafs, you know, they're not playing the strongest teams every night. But they're also not playing a bunch of jokes, you know what I mean? They're not playing teams that finish in last every single year. Well, I mean, unless, I guess, you're Ottawa in recent years. But <laughs> even they're not that far removed from an Eastern Conference final, right? Yeah. 
And the point is that the level the Leafs are currently dominating at is no joke. I mean, they just shut out Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle in back-to-back nights with their second and third string goalie with no Austin Matthews. You know what I mean? Like, the old Leafs crumbled with one injury to a third-line winger, but this is not them. You know what I mean? These ain't your granddad's Leafs, actually, <laughs> if, if they were to be really good because when your grandfather was was watching the Leafs they probably were winning cups but <laughs> you know what I mean and the, the last thing I want to say I know this is getting very long-winded but it's just that the NHL is extremely volatile you know this isn't the NBA or the NFL where the best team almost always wins you know last season for example the Detroit Red Wings were historically bad like that 39 points in a whole season which I mean they lost it on 10 or 12 games but that's just bad any way you slice it yeah and despite that they still beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in a game you know so the Lightning also obviously had their 61 season 2018-19 and they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round of the playoffs you know bad teams beat good teams all the time Facing the same team over and over isn't a guarantee of anything, even if the teams are at opposite ends of the standings. You know, like, Ottawa could face Tampa Bay 82 times, and Tampa Bay is not going 82-0, not even close, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the level of skill or the disparity of skill between the worst teams and the best teams in the NHL is not that far off, whereas if you watch the worst NFL teams, the worst MLB teams, the worst NBA teams, you're just like, oh my god, like, they should be in the minors, you know what I mean? Yeah. But anyways, let's let's move on. Too much talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk to something that I'm sure you're excited to talk about. Checking in with your week one best ball team. Oh, gross. Did you see that guy's balls? Yeah, they were weird looking. Last time oh, we checked perfect. in, you were uh, the Senators. <laughs> Last place. <laughs> Any yep. improvements since then? Uh, somewhat. You know, I kind of wish we were following my second best ball team that I had done since that team is in second. But, you know, when it comes to the team from our inaugural episode, which we're talking about, I'm currently in eighth. Um, So essentially, my best players have been performing for the most part. At least the forwards have. Although I'm still kind of waiting on Pedersen to get it going and also on, you know, any of my goalies to get it going. But that's pretty much a synopsis to start. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you said your forwards had got it going, but does that does that mean less than good things for your defense and goaltending? Yeah, I'm definitely starting to get very concerned about my defense, to be honest. Mm. So to break it down, only Quinn Hughes and Keith Yandel have been productive with any sort of consistency so far. Cam Fowler has actually been a bit of a pleasant surprise with two goals and 10 points in 20 games so far. But the rest haven't done much, you know. Others I have include Wierenski, Spurgeon, Sanheim, Grizzlick. All of them have been injured or unproductive or both. Jeez, that's brutal. How's your goaltending been? Uh, not much to write home about there either. So Kudobin, as you well know, was one of my back-to-back picks, if you had heard our first episode. And he's been fine, but he's only started about 10 games. He only has four wins. There was like this controversy that came out about maybe he had like a bit of an argument with the coach. 
and he was like, I think, day-to-day at one point. So it's just kind of been a bit of an up-and-down season for him so far. Not what we'd like to see from a goalie taken in the fifth round. Mm. And um, to move on, Halak's been okay. He's seen only seven games so far, which is surprising considering that he was more of a platoon goalie in the past. Seven games seems kind of low. But anyways, the biggest letdown by far, without a doubt, has to be Robin Lehner. Ooh. Because, you know, he's only played five games, and he's looked bad in essentially all of those games. He's basically also lost his job to Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been hotter than the Devil's summer home this season. And if he doesn't get more starts, or if Lehner guest starts and doesn't start playing well, I honestly might be screwed. And, you know, it's funny because I'm doing so well in my other two fantasy leagues, the season-long ones in Yahoo, especially now that I've overtaken both you and Graham by a single point to capture first place in our pool. Don't remind me. (laughs) But this pool, the one I decided would be a great idea to check on once in a while, oh, it's been a doozy. So here's hoping to brighter times ahead. Yeah, I mean, fantasy pools are like draft picks. You you do your research, you try your best, you pick who you think you will get the best production out of, and uh, something completely different happens every time. So <laughs> it is what Classic. it is, and uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe your stars will turn it around, or your your depth will turn it around. And uh, maybe next season we'll have uh, the second place best ball team to check in on, huh? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into our sleeper segment now. Hey, are you awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. Who's first on your docket? Sure, sounds good. Finally, a segment I like. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I'm going to begin with Jean-Gabriel Pajot from the New York Islanders. He is center only, which always kind of sucks, but he does have nine goals and 13 points this season including five on the power play, 41 shots on goal. He's been hot lately too, as eight of those nine goals I just mentioned have actually been scored in the last 10 games. So that's pretty insane. And at only 52% owned, you might as well grab him, especially if you're in a deep pool and you're desperate for any kind of offensive juice to kind of supplement your disappointing roster. He is likely on your wire. You should get him. Who's up first for you? My first pick is someone that's really been lighting it up on the Arizona Coyotes, Christian Dvorak. His first three seasons in the league were pretty underwhelming, but he really seems to have turned a corner this year. He has nine goals and 16 points in 21 games, including seven power play points. He's only 49% owned despite his pretty nice success, and he also has dual eligibility on the center and left wing slots. All right, Luke, who's your last pick? So my next pick would definitely have to be Drake Batherson of the Ottawa Senators. Similarly to Dvorak, he's been middling his first few years, typically registering around 35 points a season. But this year is a lot different. Through 21 games, he has 9 goals, 17 points. He's also only 47% owned. And I get that he plays for the Sens. But he's only a minus five, so he won't help you, but he also won't sabotage you in the plus minus department. He's shown some great chemistry with Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris, who are having pretty fine years themselves. So grab him while he's hot. And similar to Peugeot, he has scored most of those goals recently, so he's real hot. Who's up next for you? I'm going to cap things off with Jordan Stahl of the Carolina Hurricanes. 
obviously he's never going to live up to that second overall draft pick potential, but he's been playing really well, well enough to be picked up in a deeper fantasy pool for sure. He is center only, he is kind of restricted in terms of where he can be, but he has seven goals and 15 points in 18 games so far. At only 48% owned, you really could do worse. Finally, let's get to the last segment of the show, the lightning round. For this week's lightning round, we are going to look at 10 players who are having incredible years, career years even. Similarly to our last episode, we have five picks each, and we will be going back and forth trying to keep this real brief. Kick us off, Luke. Well, for my first pick, I am going to be a huge homer and talk about Jason Spezza. He has 12 points in 22 games, including an impressive hat trick and a lot of goals he's scored this year, or most of the goals he scored this year, I should say, are were really impressive. And he's currently on pace to post his best point totals since he had 50 points with the Dallas Stars. That was in 2016-17. So it's just kind of been a while since he's performed at this pace, and you'd love to see it. Next. My first pick is a homer as well, but a lot more of a birthplace homer than a home team homer. Carter Verhage is absolutely destroying the idea of a sophomore slump in his second season for the Panthers by scoring more points in 20 games than he did in 52 of his rookie year. He's been developing in the AHL for a long time. I really hope to see him keep up this pace. Next. For my next pick, I'm going with a former Leaf, and that's James Van Riemsdyk of the Philadelphia Flyers. His career high in points over a full season is 62, and he honestly might top that in this 56-game season, which would be nuts. He has 10 goals, 25 points, and just 18 games. Next. Well, I'm going to stay with the Flyers, as my pick is Joel Farabee. He's been on the same line as JVR all season and has 8 goals and 17 points in 18 games to show for it. He was a first-round pick in 2018, and he seems to have fast-tracked his development since he's quickly becoming an essential part of their top six. Next. Up next, I have Nikolai Ehlers of the Winnipeg Jets. His career high in points is 64, and he's typically a solid top six forward in terms of production, but he's never really been a point-per-game player per se. He essentially is, though, so far, with 11 goals, 22 points, and just 23 games, and they'll especially need him to step up now that Patrick Laine is gone There's a hole on the wing. Next. I'm going to go with Oliver Bjorkstrand of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He took a step forward last year by scoring 36 points in 49 games, but 49 is not 82, and I would much rather see him take that pace through his new contract to an entire full season. Hopefully there's no injuries holding out for him. 16 points in 23 games is looking very nice for him. Next. Up next, I have Pavel Zaka of the New Jersey Devils. The Devils took him 6th overall back in 2015, and he may finally be living up to that hype. His best season was last year when he had 32 points in 65 games, but even though that's a personal best, that's still not good. This year, however, he has 6 goals and 14 points in just 17 games, and has looked better than ever, so that's encouraging. Next. My next pick is Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild. It's his rookie year, so technically it's a career year regardless of what he does, but even with that said, he has 6 goals and 17 points in his first 18 games as an NHLer. Looks to have the making of quite the star. I mention him because, you know, a lot of players have a lot of hype coming over from the KHL, but there's not a huge success rate of KHL stars transferring to becoming NHL stars. There are a couple examples in recent history, like Panarin and Tarasenko, and you could probably put Radulov there too, but the point is, is that it's not nearly as high as you'd want it to 
to be, and Kaprizov is doing everything he can to increase that number on his own. Next. So I'm going to end off the same way I started, by being a massive homer. Don't! My final pick is Joe Thornton of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh god, does it feel good to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally, this isn't a career year for him, as we're talking about a guy who's put up over 100 points twice, even 114 points once, but he has 10 points in 11 games. He hasn't been a point-per-game player since 2015-16, and that's all exciting. He's looked good playing in the top six as well. Obviously, besides Zach Hyman, it's been very hard for the Leafs to find complementary pieces to play with their stars. So hopefully the good times keep rolling. Rolling into my last pick, I'm going to be doing a similar thing that I did in my first pick, which is selecting someone who's a homer in terms of birthplace, but not necessarily in terms of location. Tom Wilson is no stranger to the NHL after being on the Washington Capitals for the past eight seasons, but he's never looked as good as he does right now. He's already tied his rookie season's point total in 48 less games and is on a 73-point pace across a regular 82-game schedule. It's looking like this could really be a cornerstone year in his career career and i'm very excited to see where he goes well that just about does it for this episode as always be sure to post your feedback on our facebook page or on twitter at toronto model bros links to those will be in the description of the podcast also please rate our show on spotify apple or wherever else you listen to our podcasts lastly don't forget about sports jerks make sure to send them some love as well so long folks thanks for listening and we'll see you next week (laughs) 